0: Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast. We are so excited today. We are meeting somebody named Edie Freymark. And Edie and I first connected, believe it or not, in my one of my first jobs at a local nonprofit here in Chicago, and she worked there as well. And then we have reconnected in recent years. Um, Edie has had a long career in business management and is a pending certified recovery support specialist and is currently working for Jocelyn Center as a peer support specialist in the northern suburbs of Illinois. She was recently awarded the 2023 NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness Support Group Facilitator of the Year by NAMI, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. At NAMI, Edie, is and was and has been a support group facilitator for a multitude of different types of groups and is also or previously has been a warm line responder. Um, Before we start, Edie, what is a warm line? Let let me ask you that question.
1: So first, I want to say that was one of my first jobs as well, and we're not going to talk about how many moons ago that was that we both started at that job. And a warm line responder is someone a warm line is like a step down from a crisis line. It's not a hot line. It's a warm line. So it's basically a line where you can call if you need to talk, if you need to talk something through, if you want some support. Um, you can call if you're in crisis and, and the responders can help figure out if you need um, more of a crisis line or if, you know, maybe we can help you with um figuring out some coping skills and and strategies to get through it, to see if you really are in crisis and need a higher uh, level of, uh, uh, of care at that point uh, intervention. Um, But you could call like, I want to tell you a joke. Let me tell you a joke, or I need to hear another voice. There's a lot of isolation that goes along in this world. And knowing that you can call somewhere and, and get somebody for 20 minutes and just have someone listen is, is really a big comfort. So warm lines are a tremendous resource for us in this world right now.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So now let's dig in. I appreciate that quick question. Um, tell, I gave the bio, but there's a lot more to you. You're a very special person. Um, tell us more about you, Edie and, um, your life's journey. And of course the mental health component of it.
1: Um, you know, and I'm not really sure what to say. I I've lived my life, you know, my life has gotten me where I am today. Um, I am a wife and a mother of three uh, wonderful diverse, beautiful children um and I have uh my life has taken a lot of twists and turns because you know nothing is linear in this world we don't go up a straight line uh the long and winding road, right so um I, I can tell you in terms of my mental health, which which has um, dominated my life for a long time, whether I have ignored it, been aware of it, or have been actively um, pursuing the maintenance of it, um, I have had several mental health crises over my life, and I have dealt with them in, in different ways. Um, the last mental health crisis that I have, first of all, let me just backtrack and tell you as a certified recovery support specialist, part of my training is, um, one of the tools that we have is, um, using, uh, appropriate disclosure. So you're about to get some appropriate disclosure from me. Um, so the last mental health crisis that I went through started when I had a cancer diagnosis in 2015, um, and Um, Thank God I am fine. I am what they call cured from this type of cancer. I was very lucky, Um, but it's still something that I deal with physical ramifications of and emotional ramifications of and trauma ramifications of uh, still. But it snowballed, you know, an emotional situation, physical, emotional, mental health situation. Um, And, um, and I think it was uh, maybe 2016, I really started to decline 2017. You know, I was not able to work and I found myself laying in bed, staring at the wall for an extended period of time, Um, depression and anxiety or something that um, genetically I'm predisposed to as well as some other things. And it overtook my, um, my ability to cope with the world as it does for so many people, Um, you know, we're, we're not alone in in this, you know, if, if anyone out there is feeling those things, just know that you're not the only one who's gone through this. And you can come out on the other side. Anyway, um, you know, uh, I I have a a wonderful family. and, And one of my family members would say to me all the time, Edie, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome is the definition of it. And insanity, and I'm not talking about clinical insanity. We're talking about Albert Einstein, but that's not who said it to me. And one day I just woke up and it was January, 2018. I woke up, I'm like, I got to do something different. Um, I got to do something different. And I put myself into a PHP within a week, within a wake of, of that wake up call. Um, What's a PHP? PHP, I'm sorry. It's a partial hospitalization program. It's an outpatient treatment program. Um, you know, there are different types of treatment program for mental health um, issues. Um, if you are in a higher level of crisis acuity, you you would go into probably a inpatient treatment. Um, you know, if you're having, um, you know, suicidal or homicidal thoughts, stuff like that harm thoughts of harm. Um, but if you're not having, you know, those kind of, or other more, um, detrimental issues going on, you would do something like I did, which was a partial hospitalization, or also there's something called an, um, an IOP, which is a intensive outpatient, which is less hours than a than the partial hospitalization anyway. Um, so I did that partial hospitalization, um, and I started to turn my life around, but it was, it was a slow process. I did it a couple of times. Uh, let's say I did it three times in 18 months because I needed the reinforcement and I, I I needed, um, you know, mental health is a serious thing and it needs to be treated seriously, just like any other health crisis, Um, mental health crisis, um, needs, uh, great attention um so I think it was the second time I was in and I was leaving the PHP and I I said okay this time what am I going to do different I need to make sure that I have structure and they introduced me to NAMI and they said try out a NAMI group which we said is the National Alliance uh, on Mental Illness and I found my local group and by then it was in person because there was no pandemic and I went to my first NAMI group and it was an amazing thing It was like um, everybody understood um, the idea of what I was going through, not specifically what I was going through, but there was no judgment. It was welcoming, inviting. I could speak my mind and not feel like um, I was going to be looked down on or stigmatized or anything like that. And I just kept going. Um, And um, it really helped me turn my life around um, to the point where... I started facilitating, um, because, um, so I was going to Naomi and I was going to therapy and I decided I needed a new mode of therapy because there was something missing in my life and I had to reclaim it. And so I started art therapy. Um, and because, because creativity was very important to me and I needed to find the joy that was missing in my life, which was a big part of why the crises could keep happening because without joy um you know the darkness can just come anyway um so i started art therapy right before the pandemic started and i continued afterwards over zoom and as the pandemic started i started looking for more um nami groups so i i went to another affiliate that's the one in pennsylvania And they then, you know, had asked me to um, start facilitating in January of that year. So I started facilitating for both of the affiliates that I was going to uh, in January of 2020. Um, And um, the the peer support, the therapy, there, there are four things that I say, this is for me, that help me maintain my mental health. It's, therapy. It's for me, and this is not for everyone. None of these are for everyone, but it's for me. Um, it's medication management, um, from my psychiatrist who I trust implicitly. And that's very important to find a psychiatrist that you trust implicitly and a therapist that you trust implicitly. Um, it is peer support, which I find in NAMI and other places, and it is self-care. Um, so those four things help me manage my mental health. And because of that, um, uh, foundation of all these things, I have now been able to um, open my eyes to other options. So when I saw the um, the posting on Facebook from one, one of the NAMI groups that I follow uh, for this Certified Recovery Support Specialist program, um, I just went for it. And um, within the last year, it has completely helped me change my life. Um, I can't believe that in 2017, I was staring at the walls. And now I've completed this program. I'm working as a peer specialist. I am doing prerequisites for grad school so that I can become an art therapist and counselor. And, you know, as I said, we don't, we're not a straight shot down the highway. We have twists and turns. Um, And I think that Um, you you didn't get here all in one shot, right? It's not like, oh, I was laying in bed and now I'm here. Everything is one moment at a time. And by taking it one moment at a time, I've been able to get here with everything that has happened in my life. And it's not easy. My life is not easy. None of our lives are easy. Um, But I think with the right support and the right system in place, being able to manage and own, um, you know, what is going on in our lives can help us get where we need to go and want to go.
0: Wow. So I have a question just because you, you, and thank you so much for sharing with, with the podcast world, your, your journey. And I, I just want to, if
1: you, you want any clarification, or if there's something else you want to know, if I skip <laughs> something, I, you think is important.
0: <laughs> I just wonder, like looking back now that you are, um, a, adults who've been, you know, and, and been through everything looking back at your youth. I'm just curious, do you now think you had some mental health challenges during that time that, that you didn't realize, or did it really not come out until adulthood for you?
1: So I've been living with, with mental health conditions my whole life. Nothing was really diagnosed when I was younger. I can't talk to why, because I wasn't in charge of it then but I've always known that there was something wrong. I don't even know. I can't even tell you when I got diagnosed, but I think my first real, uh, my first real mental health crisis, um, there's been, there's been three. Um, One, I don't know if you remember this. One was when my husband was in a coma uh, in 1999. That was really difficult for me, which, Oh my goodness. Which is, he's thank God he's fine. Um, That's a story in and of itself. Um, But that really led into um, like a, a depression and an anxiety. And that's when my PTSD really started to like show its head, right? It's always been there. I have complex PTSD that started when I was young, but it just really like, like, um, but that led into like, I turned, well, my grandmother died right before I turned 30 and then nine 11 happened. And then, then, then by January of that year, I wasn't working anymore either. And i laid in bed for eight months and I don't even know how I pulled myself out of that one. So, you know, I have had, um, I've had, you know, mental health conditions my whole life. When it's been diagnosed, I couldn't even tell you. Right. Um, Right. But, thank you for sharing that yeah let me just say i have been actively really actively um in control of the maintenance and the management of my mental health for the last couple of years um really since 2018 and you know that's the key we have to drive the boat ourselves yeah yeah
0: absolutely you took you took control of of the direction right um, can you explain what complex PTSD is as opposed to less complex
1: PTSD? So I, I shouldn't even say I have complex, I, you know, I, I have a friend who, um, when she describes, I think her anxiety, she um, uses the term multiple flavors of anxiety and okay. I I have multiple flavors of PTSD, but okay. I, let me look it up real quick because I don't want to say it wrong. Um, but I think complex PTSD is, um, is, um, is PTSD. That's not dependent on one specific incident. It's, it's, um, not just like one type of, uh, trauma, but multiple different types of trauma, um, that cause the, um. The PTSD trauma is just I call it the gift that keeps on giving because (laughs) once you once you are exposed to trauma or a person that lives with the ramifications of trauma everything you do and every reaction and action that you take is based in the trauma whether you're dealing with your trauma or not and that is where that fight or flight comes in so it's it's oh it's fun to live with trauma Gosh. No, not so much. Not so much.
0: Um. So, for your own support today, I think I understand that you do a variety of things. Um, and I want to now delve into the the career that you've chosen, the peer support specialist career do you have any clue? Like, when did this come around? When did, when did peer support, when did this, when was this career invented?
1: So I did a little research on this because I wanted to make sure that I could answer this question appropriately. So, um, so like peer support has been around for a while, right. In, in one shape or another, like I have these little notes um, in 1845, um, a, a peer support system called the alleged lunatics friend society in England was established for former mental patients in 1935 in in the United States, Bill W and Dr. Bob um, brought us AA, right? Yeah. Um, You know, in 1948, there's an organization called, we are not alone uh, which was a mental health um, self-help group. Um, And uh, in 1979, NAMI was born, right? Um, So that is like mental health, that's just history of some of the mental health organizations that have been dealing with peer support over the last couple hundred years or so. Um, In terms of uh, state of Illinois, okay, in 1996, the Office of Consumer Affairs was created for peer support and the peer support specialists at that time were called patient advocates and the patient advocates have now become the certified recovery support specialist um, in 2007 um, the credentialing was added so that certified part was added to to the um to the description so it's a statewide certification so there's national certification you can become a certified support specialist. I think that's what CPR, a certified peer recovery specialist. That's a national certification or the CRSS certified recovery support specialist. That's the state of Illinois. Um, And then what really has spiked, started to spike the interest um, in this field is that in 2021 um, CRSS's have become reimbursable to Medicaid. There's billing that can happen. So a lot of um agencies are taking on um uh, the certified recovery support specialists because they can bill Medicaid so they can get reimbursement. Um, so that has sparked an interest um as well as um you know the psychiatric community is in general is seeing a uh, um starting to see yeah you come to uh, what is it? Uh, not the dark side of the force, the, the, the seeing the light, seeing the light, right. Seeing the light of what peer support is. Um, because, uh, peer support is so much different than, you know, uh, talking to a peer is so much different than talking to a clinician. It's, it's a completely different thing. Um, but also finally, what's really, really helping is that there is, as I, I think it started last year, um, there is this, um, CRSS success program. And there's 11 entities across the state that are providing education, um, for individuals who, um, who qualify so that, ju- and this is what I did, um, so that we can get an education and, and do this. And I'm going to explain what this is because it's a tremendous thing to qualify for this, you have to be like 18 years old and have to, um, be able to attest the fact that you either have a mental health condition, live with a substance use disorder or both. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's the qualifications. And with that, you can get free education. So all of my coursework was free. Was oh my God. I did not realize that. Wait, it gets better. There are other parts. The books were free. There was transportation that was free. There was a lot of perks with this and the internship was paid we got paid. So not only did I not have to pay for this, I got paid to do my internship.
0: And now you have a paid career. And now ED. I
1: have a paid job. Right. And oh, they're right. also like, I think they're paying for me to take my exam too.
0: Oh my gosh. I had no idea about that. Edie. Thank Right. So
1: this that. CRSS success program is a tremendous thing because if you don't do, do the CRSS success program in order to sit for the exam, you have to do with the CRSS uh, success program, I had to do 300 hours of internship. If you don't do this program and do it on your own, you have to do 2000 hours of work experience, 100 hours of supervision, and 100 hours of uh, clock hour education, including CRSS specific hours, professional ethic and responsibility hours, and core function hours in order to sit for the exam. So if you do it on your own, that's what you have to do. But if you do the CRSS Success Program, and you have to pay for all that on your own. You have to pay for all your classes. You have to pay for everything. Um, That is
0: unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're learning a lot here. Yeah. Um, And that's unbelievable. So the coursework in your program, um, what was the coursework like? You had an internship, but also the coursework. What did that look like? Right. I'm
1: just, as for listeners who are so interested. We learned a lot about the history of, um of you know, peer support in the in the CRSS program in Illinois, but we also learned a lot about, you know, the um, core functions of, a, of an RSS, what it's like to work as an RSS, you know, also the commonalities between mental health and substance use for those of us who don't live with one or the other, you know, so that we can support um, like I am a person that does not live with substance use disorder issues, but I'm able to support someone that does because of the commonalities between, you know, uh, some of the commonalities between the two. Um, you know, we did a lot of, um, we did wrap wellness recovery action plan, which is, is a tremendous thing that is, a uh, is a, is a, um, is a plan to help in when you're in crisis. It's a detailed plan to, um, uh, for you when you're in crisis, step-by-step, step, what you're going to do, who your supports are, what 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 you're going to do in this situation, what you're going to do in that situation. This is what your triggers are. This is what your you know, what what it looks like when you start to go into crisis and, and how you will go. Wellness Recovery Action Plan is a tremendous thing. It's an incredible thing. Um, we learned, you know, there was stuff about preparation for a job interviewing. There was you know all sorts of stuff it it was also learning what it's like to interact as a peer because a lot of people maybe didn't have that experience um you know and each program is doing it differently right now so I can't speak for every program I can tell you that the program I did at Elgin Community College was tremendous it's incredible and um I think it's success rate speaks for itself. I can't tell you what it is. I just know that it's really great. Um, And I started doing um, a support group for the students there in the spring while I was a student. And I continue to volunteer to do that now. I think it's important to give back to that program that it's, you know, changing my life and, and be a support for the, for the new students that are coming through. So
0: you're amazing. You are amazing. Thank you. So in your job currently as a peer support specialist, if someone wants, like, how does it work? Do people make appointments with you? Or you mentioned drop-in center. So, so I wanted to hear how that works. So
1: so let me just tell you, certified recovery support specialists work in all over. I have, I want to go over this list of you so that you can know, like, we are everywhere. We're okay. everywhere. Um, hospitals outpatient and inpatient facilities emergency rooms mobile crisis units they do police ride-alongs community harm reduction which is a tremendous thing they're going they're going out and doing um giving fentanyl strips so that People who live with substance use can test for fentanyl issues. They're doing Narcan training. They're doing all of these things to help you. G- giving out needles so that people can stay safe. Harm reduction is a huge thing as a peer support. Um, whether you know you agree with it or not, it is one of the one of the things that is a, is a huge thing for us to keep people safe as possible. Meet them where they are is one of the things that we have to do. Um, the living room drop-in, which I'll talk about in a minute, people work in shelters. Uh, uh, people work at NAMI doing peer support and education and training. Uh, People work on the warm lines. People are working everywhere and it's expanding even as we speak. For me, um, which this is like tailor-made for me is who I am. I work um, in the living room and drop-in center for um, Jocelyn in Northfield. And what the living room and drop-in is is literally it's a drop-in is the word you can just drop in and we uh we run groups we do activities we just sit and talk as a group you come and have a coffee you can bring your lunch and just sit you know you can play a game of backgammon I will play a game of backgammon with you anytime um you know we listen to music we do arts and crafts and then we um We have processing groups, we have art groups, we have all kinds of groups. I think there's a walking group. One of the peers is always cooking something. Um, And then there's the living room, which is if you are in crisis or you think you're in crisis, you come in and talk to one of us and we'll help you figure out if you, what level of crisis you're in. If you have the coping skills to help you work through that crisis, If we can help you find the coping skills to work through that crisis, and if we can't, then then we get you more help um, so that we can hopefully avoid you having to go to the emergency room, you having to be hospitalized. If that is necessary, that is necessary. But instead of, if it's not an emergent, I am like, I got to go to the emergency room right now, but I'm feeling like, you know, something's not right. I need to talk it through you come in and talk in the living room and we can help you figure out if if you need to go to the hospital. Um, and then if we can't handle it, then we get a clinician, um, to come and talk to you about it. And And there are no no appointments,
0: no appointments. First off, that's amazing. It's not as scary as going into an ER, you know, if you don't think you're ready for that. And I think that the term living room, help me with this ed it's not a jocelyn term it's like it's a term it's a it's State-wide. i a mean letter.
1: i don't even i think it's national but there are living room state right yeah there. we just jocelyn just got a grant and there's grants all over the state and our hours are expanding and i won't tell you what they are because i don't know what they are because they're ever changing um right now i think you know potentially monday through thursday it's open seven to seven um, I think Friday and Saturday it's shorter. And I think yeah. eventually it's gonna eventually with the grant, we're gonna go 24-7. Oh my gosh. Eventually. And that's the goal of all the living rooms across the state. And that's the state saying, hey, peer support is important. It's important that's- to mm-hmm. our 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 you know, our
0: society. I'm so grateful that that people are putting in the funding. Um for this type of work, and my guess is, if the term is an Illinois term, it's probably a national term. As yeah, well. I
1: think so. Yeah, probably. For
0: anyone listening, you know, Google Google yourself a local living room for your friends and family or yourself, um, because to me, this is this is kind of groundbreaking. Yeah,
1: they're all over.
0: Um, so I have two last questions. One, just two? Okay, just two, but we can keep going. If you have any questions for me, you can ask me too. Um, is there, in, in your work so far, and I know you, you're you starting this portion, this chapter in your life, is there a moment that you can think of a success story or something you would want to share with our listeners? Um, you've already shared your own success story and um, or a moment, which is so meaningful. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to share about that?
1: I I, you know... I started in my internship, and this is a tough population to work with because um, there are people that come in who are dealing with delusions, or they're dealing with um, such heavy things then they sometimes they live in their own world, and you know it's hard to reach a lot of people. Um, and there's one gentleman, and I, my main philosophy is, and it's for me. That art is healing, art, music, all the things, it's healing. Um, and that's that's where I come from. And so I've tried to bring a lot of art to the center. And um as a end of my first semester, we did a um, I do a lot of this kind of stuff, paint pouring, um, and said we're gonna do that and we're gonna, I'm gonna do a demo and then we're gonna open it up for the guests and the staff to come and do so we did that and there's one gentleman there one guest who would come every day at that point um and um he would sit there and he would you know be on his phone or you know engage marginally with everyone but even less so with me um and you know you try and reach somebody and try and reach somebody and um and it it was really difficult um And that day I said to him, you want to do a painting? And he's like, okay. Like one of the other um, peers came over and helped him do a painting. And we did the painting and we poured the paint and we flipped it around and we moved it around. And I looked at him and I said, what do you think? Do you like it? And he said, yeah, I like it. I said, okay, you're done. Do you like it? He said, yeah. I said, okay. And I said his name. I said, you're an artist now. And the smile on his face was so huge. And so so the rest of the day, I, I didn't hear this myself, but the my peers told me that the rest of the day, he was walking around. I saw he was bouncing. He was really animated the rest of the day. But he was walking around saying, did you do a painting? Are you doing a painting? I did a painting. I'm an artist. To be able to reach someone with something that I love and that has helped me change my life I was able to reach someone that i hadn't been able to reach for four months four months four five months couldn't get through to him and i got through to him on that day and it was just so gratifying and wonderful and i just like that is one of the pivotal things that i hold on to that no matter what happens there is always a way to reach somebody and there's always hope that's one of the major themes that we um we live with as a a certified recovery sports specialist is that we we, we deal with hope that hope is, um, is always out there. It's hard to attain sometimes it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a concept that, um, people have a hard time with, um, but it's always out there. And it's something that I, I strive for is hope within myself and to help people, other people find hope.
0: Amazing. I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. Hold on to those good moments. Yes, there's tough ones too. And speaking mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask a follow-up question on how do you specifically manage the pain that you see? There's something there's that term compassion fatigue compassion. that
1: right. teachers
0: have and social workers and different things. So I'm just wondering how how you manage that because there's there's those wonderful moments, and then there, there's it's hard.
1: So anyone that's a helper, right? Because all those um, um, things that you just mentioned, plus anyone in a medical field or uh, uh, in a mental health field, anything like that, we're all helpers, Uh, whether we're full clinicians or, you know, the RSS works um, as a part of the clinical team, you know, Um, we deal with compassion fatigue a hundred percent. And it is a real, real thing. And, you know, it's something that we have to be really cognizant of and aware of. And one of the things that my my teacher, who I just met with this morning, his name is Drew, um, has like banged into our heads throughout all of our classes is self-care. Self-care is so important. And like, if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times, Edie, what are you doing for self-care today? um and self-care comes in so many so many different forms um um, so i really really make sure i take care of myself you know we do and part of that is supervision and part of that is i see my therapist and part of that is i go to my nami groups as a facilitator and as a, a as a participant as well um part of that is i try to maintain as many connections with friends as possible even once they have moved to israel And I have to only talk to them twice a week, which is, do I twice, no, once every other week, which is really difficult, but maintaining those connections are important. Um, But for me, self-care is also like listening to music. Painting is self-care. Aromatherapy, um, I'm the scented candle queen, uh, or really um, those little things. um, uh, The cup of tea, um, uh, scented candles, and a, a nice hot bubble bath really can take it out of me. But really another thing that is really important in any kind of work like this, and this is the one thing that when I started uh, my internship, they asked me, what are you, what are your goals? And my goal was, um, to be able to compartmentalize and set boundaries, not bring it home as much as possible and set boundaries so that, um, I can say, I can't go here. I I have to stop here. You know, this is not, this is not healthy for me. I have to stop. So knowing, knowing myself and, and being able to set those limits for myself, um, you know, professionally has been really uh, something that I've worked on since, since, since I've been working on since I started in January and, um, it's been really helpful. You know, it's something that I work on all the
0: time. (laughs) You've been exercising those muscles.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. All the muscles. Because
0: I can imagine that would be very challenging. You know, the work. Yeah.
1: Knowing someone needs to be hospitalized, seeing someone is living with delusions and and knowing that we are doing everything that we can to help them, but we can't do everything is a really hard thing. It's a really, really hard thing. And knowing at the end of the day, we're doing the best that we can for them. And that's all we can do. Yeah. All we can do is hard.
0: Yeah. And? I remember I had a boss when I was 23, I was a crisis, social worker, crisis oh. worker with, a, with, without the masters. And I remember that it was pain. It was, it was hard for me as a young, you know, it would be hard for me now too. But I remember my first boss there, he was awesome. Tyler Bauer, I'm giving you a shout out, Tyler. And he said, you, you you have to latch on to the baby steps, like the tiny steps, because you're making change. Right. You're not going to fix everything. That part is not in your control, but what is in control are those small things and hold on to it. And yeah. I remember that.
1: I, I really think that there are no baby steps. Every baby step is a huge milestone. It's huge. We may think it's a small step at the at the time. But, you know, for some people who can't brush their teeth on a regular basis, doing it is, is a huge thing. I, I heard somebody on uh, Instagram, can't remember her name, but she was talking about how self-care is not necessarily something that makes you feel good instantaneously. Self-care can be um, something that is very uncomfortable and very hard to do and not necessarily something that you want to do, but you know that in the long run, it's going to put you in a better place, put you in a better space, and it's going to be for your best interests. So self-care can be something like, uh, you know, getting a hug, which is going to, you know, give you that, all that good serotonin and everything like that, Um, which instant gratification. So we have instant gratification uh, um, self-care and delayed gratification self-care. The delayed gratification one is, um, you know, knowing that I took a shower today. And so, um, you know, that's good personal hygiene and that's going to help set me up for the, to the rest of the day that I can be around people and not worry about, you know, that kind of thing for people who have a hard time showering, you know um, you know, it, th- they're both important and they're both, you know, one may be harder than the other, um, but they both, you know, are, are, are really, really important um, for um, taking care of ourselves, which is so, so important. important only way to fight anything. I've been
0: exercising that muscle myself the last few years. It does help. I mean, you can't, it's not it. You got to make time for it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Well, Edie, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and is there anything, anything else you want to share that you want to share with, with our podcast universe before we go? And if not, I think we covered a lot.
1: So I just want to say, and this is something that I learned, um, and it's not a book thing. It's not a book learning thing. It's something that I learned about myself. Um, You know, I am, I'm 52. I started um, this CRSS program when I was, I guess, 50. um, And um, I didn't know that I was going to be able to do it. And it's not something that's necessarily age dependent. um, But. I want everybody out there to know that you are capable of more than you think you are. You're able to do more than you think you are. You can do hard things. And once you do them, you can do even harder things. Don't give up on yourselves, keep fighting for yourselves and reach out for help because it's there in a lot of different places and in a lot of different ways and hope is there. So that's all.
0: That's a lot. So that's not all. That's a lot and excellent advice. And um, again, Edie, thank you so much. It was, it's was it been awesome hanging out with you. Um, she's an artist and you can't see her because this is only audio. But what I'm looking at is a gorgeous, colorful art studio that she's sitting in. And I'm going to post a picture in the comments so you can see how colorful and amazing you are, Edie. Because every time oh, I, thank you. I I brighten up.
1: I, one of, you know, one of my mottos that I live by is live life in color because I lived in the dark for so long and it didn't get me anywhere, but you know, you got to live life in color because the alternative, you know, it, the alternative, not smiling, not laughing that that's not the way that I can't live like that anymore. And I want to say it's been tremendous hanging out with you. You know, I, it, we need to do it again, even if it's not, you know, on video or whatever. just thing. do
0: the coffee thing.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: All right, Edie. Everyone, we'll see you next time. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.